And it was like, hi, are you Marilyn Monroe? And Marilyn Monroe was very, very, very much taller than me, had a much deeper voice than I did. <laughs> and could kick my ass. <laughs> and I never would have guessed from the movie posters. I'm right? confused. And, uh... Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Hey everyone. Before we get started, we have a little note about today's show. On this episode, we take a deep dive down the rabbit hole with Wen Dolphin and Gabe Kane from Twisted Spokes CBD here in Colorado Springs. No matter what you may think about CBD or THC, we just want to remind you that here at SUPA, we aren't scientists, we aren't lawyers, and we certainly aren't doctors. What is legal where you live and what you put in your body are decisions you need to make for yourself. Mountain biking is all about exploration, though. And there is certainly much to explore in the burgeoning world of cannabinoid products. This is why we wanted to sit down with the guys from Twisted Spoke and see what the fuss is all about when it comes to CBD and cycling. Welcome, everyone, to Stand Up Pedal Action. Uh, Here in the studio today, we have uh, some new friends from Twisted Spoke Apothecary, is it? CBD. CBD. Name change. So Twisted Spoke Apothecary is now dead. Oh, oh man! So give us the full Spoke name. Twisted Spoke is the store. Twisted Spoke CBD is the brand. All right, All right. sounds good. So, Wen Dolphin, right? Yes. And Gabe Kane. Yes, sir. All right. So we're going to dive into you know all things CBD today and see. You see might that... say we're going to get way deep in the weeds about <laughs> CBD. Dad jokes. Yeah, they happen. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that one. <laughs> but to start off, uh, well, thank you guys for being on the show. We'd yeah. love to hear some of your backstory and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, because some people might say, okay, CBD, biking, why are these two such a big part of the story for Twisted Spoke? Well, um, I mean, we met working at a bike shop and believe it or not, mm-hmm. it, it kind of branched off of a beverage company. So, And this and is Gabe for everybody this, who's this listening. This is Gabe. Yeah. Hi, guys. And gals and everyone. I'm from Miami, Florida and okay. have moved all over the place. Um, good bit of time in Arizona, Oregon, Colorado. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I had some real big troubles with drugs back in the day and, um, yeah, got really out of control and I decided to give sobriety a try. And for me, that meant no drinking, no smoking, nothing. And I never really had an issue with alcohol. And that was something that I missed a lot. And somebody introduced me to kombucha and I'm like, wow, this is great. I can have this after a mountain bike ride or a hike or a session at the gym and it's super refreshing and it, it's, it's fun. It's ritual. It's craft. It's something that I just gravitated toward immediately and, uh, I couldn't really afford it. (laughs) It was expensive. (laughs) So I started making it and, Mm -hmm. you know, I started making too much of it. Well, I was going to say. Literally everybody I know who's ever gotten into kombucha, that's what happens. Yeah. They start with one and then pretty soon they have an entire room full of jars of alien oh, yeah. babies and then they're trying to give it to all their friends. Yes. This and, is what happened. Uh, well, I mean, I was giving it to my friends until the demand got too high and then I started selling it to my friends. There you go. Because I couldn't keep up with the demand. People said, oh, I'll pay you for it. So How far back was this? Oh, Talking God. 20... 2016 2016, okay. Yeah, give, right. give or take. And that was here um, in Colorado? In Colorado Springs. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got sober... A little over nine years ago, moved to Colorado Springs, and I've been sober since. Things have been good. But uh, yeah, so, started brewing kombucha the way okay. I liked it, the way mm-hmm. I wanted it, and people were about it. 
So I was working at a bike shop here in town for many years, and I stepped down from my position and when had taken over that position. And um, we got to know each other. We clicked. We're bike geeks. We like the techie stuff. We like the history. And yeah, you know, what, what is your background in cycling? Did you grow up riding, or was that something you found later? Um, young teens. I started mountain biking in Miami, Florida. If you can believe it. Ooh, uh, um, no, I can't. Yeah. Out there, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, I had nothing to compare it to. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and even going back, there's still some really good stuff down there. There's some passionate people. Are there actual trails? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I started at a place called Olita. Uh, Alita okay. River Park, mm-hmm. um, US 1, 163rd, if you know the area. <laughs> um, Shout out to our two it, listeners in Miami or how many right? we have. <laughs> you know, it was a great park and it was a great way to escape Miami, to escape the city, to escape okay. the dense population, let's say. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I fell in love with it. It's like, this is great. You know, I turned 16. I didn't buy a car. I bought a full suspension, you know, mountain bike. What'd you buy? XTR. We always <laughs> ask. Um, my, my first full suspension I had was a Klein mantra. Yeah, um, there we go. Yeah, it was, it was pretty decked out. And, um, yeah, since then I couldn't tell you how many different ones I've had over the years, but, um, that, that one kind of started it off for me. It was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't a Huffy and no offense to Huffy. I mean, I've had some great memories made riding Huffies. Um, it was game changing for me. It was like, oh, yeah. oh my God, mm-hmm. the level of performance out of this unified rear triangle and three inch manitou front suspension and <laughs> oh man these v brakes like they go in parallel these cool new shimanos yeah. oh man they're it's not next just one level. side i actually <laughs> i had a friend of mine who had a mantra back in the day and yeah. i lusted after that bike oh, yeah. that was the thing i totally wanted because my giant was a piece of crap yeah um i don't know giant offers a good value i don't know what model you were on but <laughs> not they, a good one <laughs> yeah yeah you know, but the riding in South Florida has really come a ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Markham Park out in Weston is amazing. And the further north you go, you get to Ocala, Santos. There's some really quality stuff. Unfortunately, for the most part, you have to travel for it, um, yep. which is one of the reasons I lusted after, you know, moving to a place like Colorado, where I can ride from my front door to some of the most technically challenging and amazing trails I've ever experienced. Palmer so, Park. Palmer Park. Yeah, oh, Palmer yeah. Park. Oh, Park. Oh, yeah. Park. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Do you have to uh, share the trails with the gators down in Florida? You do. I've seen those. I've seen a lot of crabs. Uh, I saw an armadillo once. Whoa. Um, and yeah. I had them down there. Yeah, they do. Oh, um, no way. Yeah. Did, did you ever like just bunny hop any of these creatures mid trail? Just like, oh, gator bump. <laughs> uh, he thinks I'm a good rider. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gabe is um, a very talented technical rider. Okay. Thank you. Um, no, I've never had to bunny hop any creatures. Just okay. Try to, you know, I'm, I may have smushed a crab or two but you know not intentionally it's never the goal um but yeah you know moved out here started uh going back to school getting my life together brewing beverages and um you know when approached me and said let's add cbd to your kombucha you want to try that i'm like dude is it gonna get me high (laughs) this is my first reaction yeah oh no absolutely not and i'm like okay what does it do? What's it for? You know, like I had no clue, you know, mm-hmm. I definitely know what marijuana does to me. Um, but I've never tried CBD and he's like, well, you need to try this stuff. And I tried it and we'll get more into, you know, what we yeah, use it for later. But, um, point of the story, I was quickly converted to, you know, believing in it and believing that it offered me benefits. Um, so we immediately knew what we wanted to do when we'll get more into his background, but he has a lot of experience in this world. And, um, 
we decided that we wanted to try to start our own company. And Gwen's dream, and we couldn't talk to anybody about it because we were, you know, so afraid of somebody beating us to market with it, was to yeah. create the best chamois cream that we possibly could, the best one we've ever used. And um, the epitome of a felt need to solve a pain point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the, the end goal, or, you know, not the end goal, but the first major goal was to really make that. And we're like, mm -hmm. well, we have no money. What can we do? Well, people like CBD honey. So we go over to a local health food store and we buy five gallons of local honey in a big bucket. And, um, you know, we decide we're going to mix some CBD into it. We're going to design some cool labels. We're going to make this product and then, you know, work our way into other products. And we're like, well, we need to design labels. What are we going to call ourselves? So we start riffing and we're like, all right, we're bike geeks. What do bike geeks like? What do people relate to? But what is also, you know, a person who's not a bike geek? What could they look at and be like, oh, cool. Like, you know, that's like a mandala or something. You know, like that attracts me. It's unique. We're like, well, how about a twisted spoke wheel? And, um, you know, the, the bike geeks out there are going to chuckle and people mm -hmm. who have no clue are like, oh, that's a cool pattern. So it was kind of a win-win and we thought, well, we'll do this for now. Maybe we'll change it. And, um, it's been a while and we it's, love it's it. stuck. Yeah. yeah, we yeah, like yeah. It. No, it's a great. <laughs> like it. It's a cool it's, logo. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Okay. So wait though, just for clarification, you're out there buying retail honey, dumping CBD in it and rebottling it and selling it out the other door. We were buying it wholesale just from a health food store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, and at that point we, um, had already applied for our food handlers licenses and things like that. So we're actually not a food handlers license. We're licensed by the Colorado department of health and environment or the CDPHE. Um, so yeah, yeah we, we would have, we had already started the process of becoming okay. legit. So this wasn't, yep. this wasn't super bootleg. Like you guys actually no, had a no, plan no, with no. this. Yeah. Yeah. The kombucha yeah. was fairly bootleg when I started it, but yeah. you know, it was just a side hustle to pay for my supplies to buy more kombucha and maybe a bike part here and there. And right on, it's really what it was about. But, um, no, the, uh, the hemp world is difficult to get into and you know <laughs> to do things the right way we've had a lot of headaches that have come from mm -hmm. you know full disclosure bank this is what we're trying to do wait what yeah. you know high insurance agent this is what we would like to do really yeah. it's gonna cost a lot we know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and uh, i mean we've had our credit card processing frozen before by being honest with them and telling them what we're trying to do and putting in the applications and oh, well, we have to approve you. And this process is going to take 12 weeks. So you can't have any of your money until this is done. And it's, uh, it, it's been very interesting, um, to say the least. Yeah. yeah. I have a little more experience with that because I managed marijuana. Sorry. Hi, guys. Yeah. I'm Wen. Um, <laughs> I Wen. <laughs> I, I grew up in Berkeley, California. I was born in San Francisco, California. Um, I'm a Bay Area kid and uh, grew up loving the city and loving bicycles and it was all kind of started by my dad who uh is also a cyclist and also mm -hmm. a cannabis activist okay um and so from a very young age i was integrated into the marijuana and medical marijuana advocacy movement in the bay area and my dad started growing marijuana before prop 215 passed in california because we had a lot of family members that were dying of aids and cancer and oh, wow he was making a ton of money in the dot-com boom and started growing pot in the basement and was giving it all away for free. Wow. Um, because he believed in it. And mm -hmm. my dad is also a former alcoholic. And he says that marijuana saved his life. Um, like me, cannabis is part of my sobriety. 
Um, certain people can make different choices about what that looks like for them. And for both of us, it's what made sense. Long story short, um, he started working for a gentleman nicknamed the Guru of Ganja or Ed Rosenthal. Okay, my dad's name some will know. Yeah, uh, is a writer, mm-hmm. and so my dad was doing some writing for Ed and editing for Ed. And well, at the same time, Ed was growing millions, hundreds of thousands of little tiny marijuana baby plants for medical marijuana patients through a program with the city of Oakland and was deputized as city official. Well, Ed was arrested by the federal government and it turned to this big thing and my dad stopped growing pot. Um, Yeah, understandable (laughs) under the circumstances. um, Started writing about it and we started having conversations about it and I was 12. um, And, you know, Ed was a very close family friend at this point and you know, as a self-righteous 12-year-old, I was like, this is messed up, man. Yeah. You know? And um, so started trying to do what I could to change marijuana laws and working in the activist world and, you know, going to protests and working booths and all that kind of stuff while racing bikes. Um, what kind of uh, bike racing were you doing? Was this mountain or road? Well, so my dad is a very traditional, right? You know, that old school, it's better to look good than feel good. You know, it's like your socks better match your kit. You know, yeah. road bikes, you ride white bar tape only. Ooh. Like, there only white. A, there There's no other color. Another option. <laughs> I, don't think you, I don't think you understand. They don't make other colors. Oh, that's my favorite customer, though. You know, <laughs> selling white road handlebar tape. Um, you know, my, my dad still every Sunday rides like a steel Della Santa with their Ace 9 speed and down tube shifters. Whoa. Like um, old friction shifters? Mm-hmm. Well, they're the um, they're indexed. Oh, they're indexed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so those suicide kind of, shifters. Isn't this was yeah. like the original like retro mod, right? Because at that point in time, you could totally get STIs for nine speed. Yeah. But he was doing like the one of the first retro mods. So when he got his Della Santa that he could finally afford, it was like, well, I'm going to put friction shifters. I'm going to put nine speed on it. Um. <laughs> So it's, it, I mean, it's a very, very, very pretty bike. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was very much this old school. We went to a shop in San Francisco called the Bike Nook every Friday. Okay. And it smelled like tubular glue and yeah. rubber and triflow. Nice. And Some nice smells. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was old school. And the guys my dad hung out with in San Francisco, I mean, it was fully the tubulars over the shoulders. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, hair nets and... You know, the caps with the loft and, um, <laughs> you know, you bring one water bottle on the three hour Alpine ride because dehydration makes you stronger. <laughs> like this super yeah. like weird, and uh-huh. I mean, he evolved a little bit, but you know, I grew up mountain biking with 60 PSI in my tires. Like you ride 60 PSI, there is no other option. You ride 120 on the road, there is no other option. Um, and I, and I do give him a lot of crap for that now, yeah. um, especially the tire pressure stuff. <laughs> the other stuff I do, but like now I've actually fully sent my dad the like tire pressure calculator from SRAM for my little brother. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, the kid weighs 98 pounds. Like you can't put a hundred pounds of pressure in the yeah. kid's tires. He's not going to be able You're to ride. You're going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I remember skipping across the road. We don't want Fausto to skip across the road. My brother's name is Fausto. Oh, there we go. Oh, Fausto right. Kopi. Yeah, so right. it's like, yep. I mean, just to kind of, like, <laughs> my family, it's very much a big part of it runs, cycling history is it deep. It runs deep, yeah, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is an odd juxtaposition in your upbringing then, because we have, on the one hand, incredible rigid conformity 
to the way things must be. Uh-huh. And then on the other side, this highly progressive, inventive, oh, discovery-oriented so. side. How did that shape you then moving to this point in your life? I was the youngest protester arrested the day after the Iraq war started. I was very <laughs> anti-authority. I dropped out of high school. Um, I got in trouble with the law. I partied way too hard and also raced mountain bikes in high school. So my high school, I was really privileged. And the only reason why I stayed in high school as long as I did was because my high school is the first um, to have a high school mountain bike racing team. The first in the country. First in the country. Yeah. That's where NorCal started. Yep. And so my coach, Matt Fritzinger, went on to found NICA. Um, And Austin um, went on to, who's one of my other coaches, was, used to be the director of NICA, now works for Rebecca's Private Idaho. And, you know, um, Jordy from Fox, who's now famous on like the dialed YouTube channel, was one of my coaches. No way. All these guys that were like really influential in the cycling world. And you mean, Crank Brothers sponsored our team. I still ride Crank Brothers. Mm-hmm. Sponsor right high school teams, companies, because you get brand loyalty for life. Um, Pro tip, anybody yeah. who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, it was such a great group of people and it did keep me somewhat engaged. And then my grades slipped enough that I wasn't allowed to race anymore. And I was like, not doing school if I can't race. And, uh, you know, Partying was way more fun, and I did. I went to work, and um, it was, and it was good for me in a lot of ways. You know, I, I developed different experiences, and I wanted to be a professional bike racer. Well, that wasn't going to happen. So the next best thing was becoming a bike messenger. Mm-hmm. So I was a bike messenger in San Francisco at a really young age, riding track bikes with no brakes on really steep hills, and it was really cool because it was in the time when like all the Mash SF stuff was going on and the okay. Mac Frama stuff you guys haven't ever seen any of this stuff on youtube you should go look right now um, right now. after the podcast excuse yeah. me yeah um and they're already uh, gone don't look if you're listening to this while driving that's yeah. not recommended because <laughs> it, it is distracting um but you know and i still i ride i still ride track bike bikes without brakes on the road all the time um track bikes are a love of mine and you know going way too fast down hills and burning rubber and doing burnouts on bikes is really cool i was gonna say what was the average lifespan of your back tire in those messenger days oh dude i mean it was i was (laughs) going through two vittoria randoneers a month if i was lucky and if i was being careful if i wasn't being careful i was going through three a month um it was cheaper than gas yeah (laughs) just uh just um and the cool factor man i mean we would literally run those and the randoneers are cool because after you go through the black you get a red stripe before you get to the casing just to let you know like a warning like they totally knew what we were doing with those um but you know the shops you know i mean there's a really cool shop named montano velo um shout out to those guys it's no longer around but they did a lot of custom frame building out of there There there's a cool company called brokeland and a um, couple others that I'm blanking on right now. And they would always take really, really, really good care of the messenger community. And just kind of like how shops take care of the racer community here in the Bay Area, shops took care of the messenger community. Um, and so the, the homie hookup was real. And, um, you know, and also it's like, you know, I was throwing nuggets around and, you know, it's like, here guys, you know, and when oh, you, you okay. leave a tip on the counter, that's a bunch of ganja. Yeah. Um, guys typically take really good care of you. There you go. Um, especially back then when it was harder to come by. Yeah. Um, 
Well, anyway, yeah, I mean, so, and the bikes were always a huge part of my life, and so was cannabis, and I always wanted, even from that age, like, how do I integrate these two? And that's part of why I became a bike messenger, right? My dream was always to be able to deliver marijuana via bicycle. Never really happened on any kind of large scale. <laughs> on a large um, scale, I like that qualifier. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, uh, no, I was one of the only guys in the barrier back in the day where it's like I fully made deliveries to dispensaries of, pound of pounds of weed on my bicycle because I felt like it was safe. It, one, I didn't have a driver's license because, um, you know, activists and cars are death. And, right, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I didn't get a driver's license until after my daughter was born. Wow. So that's uh, recent then. Yeah. 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 It was like, nope, bikes are where it's at. Um, I used to be as good as Gabe and commuting to work every day. And now I live 20 miles from the shop and I drive way more than I should, but, um, I digress here. Um, anyway, so it was, ended up working for, um, I had, a, I had two really, really good friends, um, in the messenger community get hit by cars. Yeah. One of which died. Um, and that really messed with me. Um, and it's like, you know, I'd seen the dude like a couple hours previous is in an intersection that I rode through like five times a day. He was doing everything right. He's wearing a helmet. Dude driving a box truck, had a newborn baby at home, was just really, really tired and just went straight to the red light. And it was just like, I don't want to die. And like there was, you know, I'd already been, you know, and it's like, you know, you're asking how many tires you go through. Mm -hmm. There's a joke, like how many times you get hit in a month. Wow. Like and... I, mean, I would make contact with cars as frequently as I'd go through tires. Really? So, so it's like, it wasn't getting hurt every time because speeds in San Francisco and in urban areas are relatively lower mm -hmm. um, for the most part. Um, but it also doesn't take much. Exactly. And had enough close calls that it was just like, this isn't a lifestyle and also developed chronic fatigue syndrome. Most messengers don't work five days a week. I did. And that was a really bad mistake. Um, yeah <laughs> drinking beer eating subway sandwiches and like not taking care of yourself and no rest and you're not doing like real miles you're riding for like three miles running up a stair set riding yeah. a mile riding up a stair set so it's like yeah it's this really weird like you're fit but in this really messed up way and like i get on the road bike and be like you just feel flat you go i could ride for eight hours but it's like you just felt flat constantly right um and so ended up getting an opportunity to work for a really, really, really cool organization that's still around today called Berkeley Patients Group. And Berkeley Patients Group is the longest um, operational marijuana dispensary in the United States. And they had a really strong ethos and nonprofit background because um, in California at the time, you had to be a not-for-profit if you're running a marijuana right. business. Yep. And so we were giving millions and millions and millions of dollars away. I was making more money as an 18 year old than I've ever made hourly in any job. I mean, I guess there's some salary stuff that I've done where it's better, but I mean, it was yeah. like, it would, they pay their employees. Well, we had health insurance, we had all the things. It was a really special organization and it taught me a lot of values that I try, that we've tried to bring into our business. Mm -hmm. And we were always really scared that, you know, not scared necessarily, but we were ready for the DEA to come in any day. Um, it was a very real thing. We had conversations and meetings about what was the likelihood on a given day. Um, we would do raid trainings. Raid trainings and robbery trainings are identical. 
wondering <laughs> <laughs> if, the, if the cops come in or somebody or if somebody's coming in to rob you you do exactly the same thing just stand there put your hands up don't get in the way yeah, whatever you want man yeah <laughs> um uh. and uh yeah so it was it was a good perspective and then i wanted to go pro for real and i moved to durango colorado to go to fort lewis college as um, one does yeah, yeah, as one does. My grandpa was president of Fort Lewis College. Both my parents are alumni. Wow. Um, it was, you know, a lot of family ties. And I was like, I want to do this racing thing. And um, got one, my alcohol issue during the wintertime got real bad. Yeah. And I also developed really bad saddle sores. Oh, okay. And um, then met my wife. Um, got her pregnant within two weeks of knowing her. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, went back to work in the marijuana industry. And, um, but kept riding bikes. And then being in Durango, it was pretty cool. It was the first place I'd ever seen marijuana and bicycles being so integrated. And sure, in terms of like the racer bros in town weren't really about it. But, you know, Durango's enough of like a scene, enough of a hippie scene. And, a lot of the locals are, you know, mm -hmm. coming into the dispensary on their bikes and then going and shredding. And, you know, so there's a lot of guys that I could talk to and hang out with that were cool and would smoke pot and ride bikes. Yeah. Um, one thing kind of led to another. And I'd always had this idea in the back of my head about, man, it would be really great if there was a marijuana infused chamois cream. And I started using marijuana topicals on my saddle source to great success. Um, and then proceeded to move around the country, managing a ton of different types of marijuana businesses and growing my um, business acumen, I guess. And um, yeah, so I mean, you know, I managed grows, I managed um, extraction facilities, I managed dispensaries in California and Colorado. Um, I have, I was blessed to be able to sell thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of marijuana and help millions of people, arguably, um, it's really cool. You know, I'm, uh, I'm really proud of that. But at a certain point, the cannabis industry was not productive to my sobriety. And unfortunately, the cannabis industry, because of its history in the black market, typically attracts people with problems. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you'd be shocked at the amount of drug abuse and alcohol abuse that happens in marijuana dispensaries and in bike shops. Let's be real. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, but it's Never. even more prevalent, um, in the marijuana industry. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and I'd always kind of kept one foot in the door in bike shops because bikes are expensive and they I are, like truly. fancy bikes. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure most people listening to this podcast do. And so uh, I was lucky enough to meet Gabe. And um, it was a really cool transition time because it was like really as I was trying to get sober. And Gabe had five, six years of sobriety at that point. And I had like four months of sobriety. Gotcha. Know? And so it was nice to be able to, you know, talk to somebody who's like been through it a little bit. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, at that point I was still had my fingers on the table every single day. I was really taking it hour by hour, day by day. Yeah. Um, now I don't even really, now I don't even think about it. And as I was working in the bike shop, I got an opportunity to work for a really large MLM 
that wanted to enter the CBD space. And the marijuana space and the CBD space are really similar. It's the same people. It's the same technology. It's just about how you implement those individual genetics. And because um, certain, I mean, hemp and marijuana arguably are the same thing. Right. We're going to get into this in a minute because there's um, going to be the disambiguation hour, whatever we want to call us, like a moment where we're going to pull all this together for a lot of people. Because I'm guessing there's tons of people who are listening who don't know all the terms, where they split and whatnot. So we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah. keep going. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, they were they could produce and I got the opportunity to make millions and millions and millions of units for them. We distributed the majority of the CBD to the country of Mexico a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and I was, I was cool. I got to mix every single one of those batches. I got to mix by hand and I got to fail with somebody else's money and I got to succeed with somebody else's money and it taught me a lot. And this all happened while I was working at the bike shop. Yeah. Uh, I ended up leaving the bike shop and was only leading group rides. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, we call it herding cats. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, Goat roping. But, <laughs> and even, and at that point I even needed help. And so I was like, Gabe, would you come and like help me set up this facility? And so Gabe, even for a little while, was helping me bottle for this other company. He was helping me set up some machinery for this other company. We realized that we could work together. We saw this company making millions of dollars and taking advantage of people. Gotcha. And we're like, this is screwed up. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and, and that's, sorry, that's my very long rambly story. If no, it's a great story. Kind and of how I got here. Yeah. And that, I think, brings us to probably the best point where we can start to say, what is the story on CBD then? Because obviously, for many, many people, there is no difference between weed, hemp, THC, CBD. It's all just piled in there in what you might arguably say is a culturally fraught space where any of those terms mean weeded out druggy potheads who just want to get high yep so talk me through from your guys's perspective and from the perspective of science even what is the difference i just want to take one quick step back and look yeah. at not our perspective necessarily not the science perspective but the historical perspective right and what this really you know marijuana laws are based on racism in this country and marijuana was made illegal in this country um, against the American Medical Association's recommendation. And this was in the 1930s, correct? Yes. Um, there was a gentleman named William Randolph Hearst who owned a lot of newspapers. He also owned all the paper mills. Hmm, interesting, right? Mm. He started printing a bunch of articles about how Mexican migrant workers and were going crazy and killing their families and white people and how black jazz musicians were raping white women. And guess what? He convinced Congress to make it illegal, despite what doctors were saying. At that mm. point in time, cannabis was one of the most used medications in the United States and around the world. Um, this also correlated hemp production in the United States was huge. George Washington was a hemp farmer, right? It was one of our favorite quotes. Um, <laughs> well, he also had a whiskey distillery, which nobody likes to talk about. Right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so it in in slave labor was necessary in order to harvest the fibrous pulp from inside of the hemp stock um and it, just because it was such a physical act and so after slavery was outlawed we saw a decline in hemp production um the same year that william randall first started issuing all these articles was the year that we figured out how to 
um, use machinery to extract these fibers that could be used to make rope or paper. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it was then made illegal. And of course, for a long time, there's a lot of, we can get into the, there's, there's a lot of history that I'm going to just kind of bypass. And then we have the Nixon administration and the sixties, right. And it really came down to counterculture. And that's where we really started to see, um, society, um, one learn a little more about cannabis, but also the federal government fighting against it. And that's when we start really started to see people going to jail um, for really, really long sentences and also it being more proliferated in the United States. There's a gentleman in Israel. You remember the year, Dr. McCollum? No, dude. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm really bad with dates. Um, in 1970s, I'm just using a big range there. Dr. McCollum in Israel discovered THC. Um, he later discovered CBD. Um, we then started. And seeing, these, again, for those who are unfamiliar, two different compounds naturally occurring in marijuana. Yep. And he originally found them in marijuana. Um, all of the hemp that was being grown in the world previously was industrial hemp that didn't produce large amounts of CBD or THC. It produced right. really low, low levels of all cannabinoids. So Dr. McCullum also then synthesized CBD and THC. He also discovered that when we use a sum total of these cannabinoids, we get more medicinal effects. Right. We then later learned that hemp, certain varieties of hemp, especially hemp that's been back-crossed with marijuana, can produce higher levels of CBD. That was all discovered here in Colorado. Really? Yep. And CBD was made popular in Colorado Springs. Is this where the, the term Charlotte's Web Charlotte's Web is a strain of medical marijuana that's been crossbred with hemp enough that it is now fits that char characterization. But it was originally a genetic that was grown by a medical marijuana dispensary in Colorado Springs. And originally it was a medical marijuana plant. And they started to realize that CBD with its neuroprotective qualities and its anti-seizure qualities could really benefit children and people with movement disorders. And so they started extracting Charlotte's Web for children. And very famously, Sanjay Gupta of CNN did a big um, multi-part series with the Charlotte's Web team about the success they were having with patients. And that was the big tipping point with CBD. There'd already been a fair bit of research starting to be done, um, but it's pretty cool. I mean, we are, we're right here in the forefront and we do things very differently than Charles Webb does. We use very different plants. We use different varieties of CBD. We use different varieties of hemp. We use more trace cannabinoids than they do. We don't want to compare ourselves to them. Um, but you know, just, they are super important with allowing us to be able to sit here at this table and have the conversation. It's important for us to nod to that and say, yeah. and it's cool that we're in Colorado Springs. For being such a conservative city, we've um, actually done a lot of really cool stuff around cannabinoid research, science, extraction, um, just because there were such a large population of medical marijuana dispensaries here that you had a lot of smart minds all working together in our little city. It's yeah. pretty rad. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, when for the listeners, do you want to maybe quickly differentiate the difference between how we categorize, you know, marijuana and hemp? I think that might give a little bit. Yeah. So the federal government categorizes hemp as any marijuana plant or hemp plant that is below 0.3% of 
THC? Hemp, by definition, from a botanical standpoint, has very specific growing characteristics that 90% of the hemp in the United States no longer meets. Hmm. Because it has been engineered? To produce flowers instead of pulpy fiber. Because flowers are where we can get these cannabinoids that can be used in medicine. And now in the United States, we're cultivating hemp pretty much exclusively for medicinal value, not for fibrous pulp. Even though, if I'm not mistaken, there is actually one operation out in the San Luis Valley where they're trying to reestablish like actual fibrous hemp production, correct? More than one. So it's even cooler is the state of Colorado partnered with Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how we, I know about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of the companies we aspire to be like. Um, <laughs> and they're going to be building the first textile company and manufacturing plant in the United States in 25 years. That's crazy. I mean, textiles used to be a huge part of our economy. Mm-hmm. It's gone now. And so, I mean, it's, it is changing, but initially the money in hemp was in cannabinoids. And so that's where all the science was put. I mean, we've only been growing hemp in the United States and on mass for five years. Yeah. And so to get back to what, thank you, Gabe, for uh, bringing that up. So we have the picture of, this is what hemp is. So how does the marijuana plant itself relate to hemp? Marijuana, so there's three main types of cannabis. Okay. Cannabis is the overarching term that we can use for marijuana, hemp, or ruderalis. Okay. Ruderalis, we don't need to talk about for the sake of this podcast. It's a really weird type that is it's basically ditch weed that grows in Russia. Okay. Very resilient. It's very <laughs> resilient. Um, we use it sometimes to crossbreed stuff, but for the sake of this conversation, it's not important. Um, hemp was grown as a um as a it's a pulp product right i mean it really is it's a fiber product that is grown and it grows about 15 to 30 feet tall and it grows more like bamboo than like a bush right whereas so if you look at real pictures of industrial hemp it really does look like a bamboo field they're all stacked up and there's these long stalks that are just spaced maybe a few inches apart when we look at Cannabis, or traditionally what cannabis looks like that comes from the, let's just use the, so then there's two different types of cannabis that are primary, which are indicas and sativas. And indicas and sativas, we talk about, I like to use that terminology for growing characteristics, not effect. Okay. Because scientifically that makes more sense. Sativas are tall and lanky and grow near the equator. Indicas are short and bushy and grow in the Himalaya and northern india in pakistan and those kinds of places traditionally um and so now what we have done is we've taken these fiber hemp products and crossbred them with cannabis in order to get the growing characteristics that we like as humans gotcha so now this is a good spot to maybe get into the like the difference between thc and cbd in that they are both compounds in the same family of chemicals right there's 207 cannabinoids that we know of. 207. So yeah. why do we care about these two? Well, they're, you know, most prominent. Um, you know, we, we like to talk about something called the endocannabinoid system, right? Our internal system of receptors that respond to CBD, THC. And something else that's worth noting that hasn't come up yet, CBD, you know, it occurs in nature, um, not just in cannabis. I mean, you can find it in certain flowers, you can find it in chocolate, you can find it in Hemp, all, all sorry, sorts of places. Orange peels and hops. Yep. Yeah. 
hops are very closely related. We actually, um, for the listeners in the area, um, keep an eye out for some hemped kombucha. Uh, might be doing something along the lines of that. That'd be fun. But um, yeah, you know, so we have this endocannabinoid system, right? Um, there's two receptors that we know a, a bit about, and we call them CB1 and CB2, right? So let's take a step back from CBD and THC and talk about something called CBG. People say CBG, what the hell is that? Never heard of it. Uh, we, we like to call CBG the mother, right? So CBG in its life cycle eventually can turn into either CBD or THC. And we see that THC has a strong liking or an affinity for these CB1 receptors. And CBD goes to these CB2 receptors, right? Um, there are offshoots from all of these. For instance, we make a product with um, something called CBN, which has a higher affinity for the CB1 receptor than CBD does. And we see some interesting um, characteristics because of that. But... Um, CBD does not induce euphoria. It's bonding to these CB2 receptors. And that's a real key difference. You know, I have a very, very uh, strong sensitivity to anything mind or mood altering from caffeine to even trace amounts of alcohol from some kombuchas that I've tried. And when I use a um, CBD isolate product, which is only CBD, I you know, get no euphoria, no psychoactivity whatsoever. Um, when I use a recommended dose of a full spectrum product that does contain THC, I can feel the difference. I'm using a recommended dose. I'm not trying to induce euphoria. I'm not inducing euphoria, but it definitely does have a different effect on me. And as one touched on earlier, using these different components of the plant together can create different and sometimes overall better effects for people. Mm -hmm. um, so THC, CBD, very, very different um, in their pathways, but also in the effects that we see from them. Yeah. Just zooming out a little bit, what are the benefits of CBD? Like what, what does it do for the body? I, I, my, one of my favorite quotes that I, I like to think I invented um, is <laughs> <laughs> CBD doesn't do a whole lot. It modulates everything. Okay. Put that on a Tell bumper me more. sticker. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm, let me back up. CBD does do two things really, really well. It's a really powerful antioxidant. So it is, it, we, are, we are seeing that effect. It's also a really powerful anti-inflammatory. We are seeing that effect. Separate to that, what it's doing when it bonds to those CB2 receptors is it's telling our nervous system to send the appropriate amount of nerve signals. It's telling our neurological system to send the appropriate amount of um, neurological signals, right? So it's not slowing down your brain, it's not speeding up your brain, it's just allowing those connections to happen at the rate they're supposed to happen. And so it's, and when we're talking about the immune system, it does a similar thing, right? It's allowing us to reach homeostasis faster. Um, it's allowing our body, it's supporting our body's natural functions. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we see a decrease in anxiety when people take it. Anxiety is a neurological response to a stimulus at the end of the day, right? It, that could be deep, deep seated in terms of like your childhood trauma. It could be, oh my God, I'm about to go hop, hook my bike off this cliff, <laughs> right? But or start at a the race. End of the, yeah, or start yeah. a race. That's yeah. where I really see benefit. And, you know, if we can just allow our bodies to just function or in our brains to function at a higher level, 
our overall outcomes are better, whether we're an athlete or we're not. And I appreciate you saying that, Gabe, because like for me, as a regular THC consumer, it uses a lot. Like when I, I take CBD pretty much every day, unless I forget. Um, the one time I take really large doses is on race day. Okay. Um, because my pre-race jitters are unparalleled. I'm at threshold on the start line. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And yeah, so just I be able you. to reduce my heart rate going into the event so that way I can have a more similar heart rate path to what I do in training, right? And I'm, not, I'm seeing less heart rate variability, right? All these things where it's like, okay, my, I'm just, my body is performing like I expect it to perform. I'm not changing. I don't feel any dramatic physical effects in terms of like, oh, I can produce 20 more watts. It's like, no, I am not stressed about what's going on in the race. Which can also lead to, you know, an improved flow state. We like to throw that term around and, yeah. you know, he may experience that in a, a road race or, you know, a crit or something like that. But for me, I take small amounts of CBD regularly. Um, to maintain that homeostasis, to help my body recover faster and do what it needs to do. But there are instances where I will take much larger amounts. You know, if I'm about to go and ride a very strenuous mountain bike ride, I'm not taking 25 milligrams. I'm taking 125 or more. And I'm doing that because for me, it helps me find the zone better. It helps me flow better. You know, it doesn't make me a better rider, but... It makes me more confident in what I know I can do. Oh, here's this rock feature. Let's just do it. We've done it before. Don't think about it. Just do it. Oh, wow. That was great. That was fun. That was smooth. On to the next, you know, and, and for me, finding that flow state is something that I really appreciate as a, an added benefit of CBD. So let me posit a question here real quick. Some people might say, you know, well, that just sounds like you're using, we're going to be devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're using a drug to improve or change your performance on the bike. However, I used to go chug a Red Bull before doing mm -hmm. the Jones downhill yeah. is the argument that, well, those are just two substances that naturally occur in nature. They're 100%. not really any different. You're just using them to modulate your perception of reality and how you can react to it. Sure. Sure. And uh, I mean, we like caffeine as well, man. I mean, we're mm -hmm. definitely very attuned to our nutrition and our needs. Um, and we find that CBD is a great tool for, in, you know, enjoying things. And, yeah. and let's back up a little bit, right? Let's, you know, when we look at, and again, I come, I watch a lot of pro cycling, right? A lot of world tour stuff. Yeah. Tramadol use in the world tour. Oh yeah. Is real. Yeah. Would you rather an athlete be on the start line having a synthetic opioid in their system or a small amount of cannabinoids in their system? I know my answer. Mm -hmm. I know which one affects my perception, my bike handling skills more. I, it's really clear to me. I mean, especially now we're talking about, right, the, the newest thing that just came out of the Tour de France this year. They were using some kind of spinal tranquilizer. What? <laughs> yeah, you didn't hear about this? No, no I didn't. What? Yeah, I didn't hear about this. <laughs> and so it's something they use for paraplegic patients. And it's a nerve block. What? Dude. For real. And it's not on the ban list. Well, okay. Yet. What does it do? <laughs> it stops your body's nerve endings from feeling pain. And it arguably can also stop cramps from happening entirely. Because Whoa. so you have no cramping and you have minimal pain in your legs. Wow. 
to, I mean, that's a performance benefit and a half. And there is, there's at least three riders that they took hair samples from they know use this product. Um, and it was one team whose name I'm going to blank on right now. And I mean, it's, it's not specific who, who did it. My, my, my point of this is that we're, cyclists in general are always looking for an advantage. Uh, performance teams are always going to be looking for an advantage. We, when we're talking about high-level athletes, we want them to have safe options that can help them keep on, that can help them stay on the bike, help them relieve a little bit of the pain. Because if you're doing a big training block, shit hurts. Mm -hmm. Like it is massively uncomfortable and you deserve to have a little bit of pain medication, whether that's ibuprofen or a little bit of cannabinoids, right? I'm not arguing you should have Vicodin. Yeah. But, you know, we are all, I would much prefer that you take my product than fistfuls of ibuprofen every day, which we know athletes are doing. Um, aside from that, I mean, but our brand as a whole, it's like, we're not just focused on high-end athletes. Yes, they arguably could benefit more from CBD than the average person. But at the end of the day, our goal is just keep people on their bikes. And if we can increase people's overall health, then they're more likely to ride their bikes. They're more likely to ride their bikes. They're going to be healthier. They're, if they keep using the CBD, their overall health outcomes for their whole life is just going to be better. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's what it's about is making sure that we're still riding it. Like, so I was telling you about my high school mountain bike coaches. One of them just moved to Durango. Yeah. He turned 65 today. We did a mountain bike race this year together. I'm like, no I way. want that. Yeah, <laughs> as do many of us. And yeah. this is how I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And I want to help other people on that journey. Um, yeah. And it seems like this mirrors pretty closely the broader national debate about how we treated opioids in the last 20 years versus this suspicion against plant medicine or anything like, no, 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 we'll trust what comes from the lab more than we'll trust what comes from the backfield. And now we're seeing that maybe that didn't quite work out the way we thought as a country. It's, it's I mean to chime in. Um, I mean, it's not always so black and white. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously things get dramatized. There's that whole, um, you know, dope sick show, which brings a lot of light to what has happened with what you're talking about. But people do trust doctors a lot and they should. Doctors are professionals. We make no medical claims. We are very clear about that. When someone has something very tricky, we send them to a specialist. We, you know, we don't want to take people's medical health into our hands. We offer some really cool tools that work well for us and that we've seen work well for a lot of people. Something that has stuck with me my entire life. Take everything with a grain of salt. You know, do your research. You know, we're, we're here to give you points to research. We're here to help you understand it. And, you know, we're always available to take on very tricky questions. If we have the answers, great. If we don't, we will work hard to find them for you. But, um, you know, we, we believe that you need to find balance with medical science and with common sense. And, yeah. you know, if it sounds too good to be true, be careful. You know, obviously we've seen the opioid epidemic and, and what it has done. And, you know, we firmly believe that the cannabis products, the CBD, CBG, CBN, these are not going to affect you in any way similar to those. These are not going to give you withdrawal symptoms. These are not going to, you know, you don't have to take these to be well, you know. You... The toxicity of water is higher than of cannabinoids. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. for safety profile stuff, it doesn't get better. Gotcha. Luckily, we, we don't get a lot of pushback on what we're doing, you know, maybe a few years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Budweiser doesn't need to tell you what beer is. They just need to tell you that they make it. And it's getting to that point with CBD where, 
you know, we don't really need to tell as many people what it is. They come in knowing what it is. What they want to know is, is who tests your stuff? Does it have heavy metals? Is it clean? Are there residual solvents? And we can answer these questions with confidence. And I think that that really builds a lot of goodwill with our customer base and with people in general. You know, we want to be seen as a resource, not just a manufacturer trying to make money. You know, our goals are not to be rich. Like, you know, he wants a vintage BMW and I want more bicycles and that's about it. Like, <laughs> I want a lot more bicycles. He wants too. more bikes too. I was going to say, both of those too. do involve some amount of money. <laughs> but not as much yeah, as, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm fine with the poor vet. We were joking about this the other day. Like, I don't need something schmancy. Like, we made a promise to pay all of our employees <laughs> a living wage. Um, we currently donate 2% of the proceeds of all the chamois cream to uh, bicycling related advocacy organizations with our kombucha company. Our non-CBD infused kombucha, we donate 10% of those proceeds. We're going to be transitioning the business into an overall percentage of all of the revenue will be, not all the revenue, excuse me, all the profit will be donated to um, charity. And we're working on what that percentage is going to look like and keep an eye out on the social medias because that'll be happening soonish. Um, you know, I mean, our goal is to, we've worked for a lot of assholes. We've worked for a lot of corporations. And at the end of the day, we wanted to provide a really great quality product. It was affordable, so people would use it. But more importantly, arguably, is we wanted to build a business that we were proud of, that our employees could be proud of, that our children could be proud of, that we could have a legacy built around. Um, that's the goal. It really sounds like you guys have a passion for adding something to the community in a beneficial way and not you know, putting a negative spin on whatever could happen. In, in your business world or in the cycling world. Really appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, we also want to support cool people in our community. You know, I mean, we, this is really fun. Um, we, we work, we've been working with John Croom this last year. He's okay. a local racer mm -hmm. guy and um, he won five national championships using our products this year. And um, a lot of training. <laughs> yeah. Lot of training. <laughs> Throw that one in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he is in the process of starting a, track cycling team that is uci registered um so he well no it's done there is a uci registered track team based in colorado springs that john Kroom is one of the directors of and there's going to be a team of guys a lot of which are local and twisted spoke cbd will be on their kits on international That's television awesome. and we will be the first cbd company to use the phrase cbd on a cycling kit on a uci registered team and that's an important point because cbd as an isolate is actually uci legal 100 mm -hmm. yeah we say you can use our full spectrum product up till midnight the day of competition wow yeah. all right yeah so usada and, and wada have very clear standards um on what it takes to pop hot if you would mm -hmm. um and you know my understanding of it is is you essentially need to be messed up during the event you need to be taking large amounts of edibles and you know, bong rips at the starting line, essentially. <laughs> I've spent way um, too much time looking at the graphs and the data. Yes. And the answer is, you got to be really, really, really high at the time of your analysis. Okay. You know, so the Shakiri Richardson case is especially interesting because it's like, how stoned were you? <laughs> <laughs> Very. It's an unfortunate case, but yeah. Um, it's it, it just, it's all athletes should be safe. You are allowed to use THC out of competition, period. Okay. Yep. That's all THC product. Yeah. yeah. Not just the isolates. That's just the isolates. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that, um, and so that's really exciting for you guys then to say, to be able to say you're going to be the first 
on the uniforms on TV saying, no, CBD, we're not hiding behind anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's yep. here. We own and, it. And Floyd's of Leadville, we got to give a shout out to Floyd. Um, he actually, I met him in Leadville and he was super um, stoked to hear what we were doing. And, you know, shout out to him for opening up the conversation of cannabinoids and cycling. Um, no matter what your opinion is of him and his past, I mean, what he's done for us in our industry is huge. And he did sponsor a cycling team, but because of, he owns a marijuana dispensary in Leadville of the same name. And because of that, my understanding is the UCI said no. So his team was Floyd cycling team. Gotcha. Um, Okay. And there are no other CBD companies that have sponsored UCI teams that we're aware of. Um, Medterra is on Legion, but nowhere does Medterra say CBD in Legion's kit. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. It's exciting for me. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, we're also gonna be working with some other local athletes and, you know, we love racing does help build lifelong cyclists, but it's not all about racing. And that we have some sort of usual questions we end up asking at some point, but before we get to that, I would love to hear from your guys' perspective for the standard cyclist you're just off the shelf yep <laughs> gabe's pointing to himself for those who can't see <laughs> i don't have strava sorry what are the advantages of cbd like the main advantages that you're going to get you know what i notice when i take it regularly um you know I, I say you know the more i take the less i take and when i can be really good about taking a small amount in the morning i took some this morning right before my coffee it's become my ritual You know, I try to take some in the early afternoon, early evening, um, spreading it out. It's, it's not necessarily a night and day difference during taking it, but when I notice it is when I'm not taking it, it's like, wow, it's really legitimately taking me longer to recover from physically stressing my body. Um, I like to ride my bike to work as much as possible. And when I'm not going to work, I like to ride my bike or hike with my girlfriend and my dogs. And I like to be active. And what I notice is, is that I bounce back faster when I'm taking it more regularly. That's, that's one of the things, you know, we have a lot of people that want to take it after the fact. Like, oh yeah, I just did a huge ride or a huge workout or CrossFit session. And you know, now I'm going to take it. And it's great to take it after those. But I find more benefits myself when I take it before and after. And I don't have to take as much. You know, I... I don't eat once a day. I know some people do and they're very successful with it, but it doesn't work for me. So I take it regularly for that. Um, Luckily, I sleep very well. We have some people that do find benefits in terms of um, being able to relax, especially relax their mind to be able to fall asleep. Um, That's not always enough for people. And that's why we have to think of ourselves as specialists. And that's why in this very competitive market, we come out with products that you don't see a lot of our competitors having. So I want to touch on our CBN product, our bedtime tincture. This is that one that is an oxidized form. So later on in the life cycle of THC, this one bonds to that CB1 receptor with a very high affinity. And for me, you know, it's not like a narcotic, but I find myself able to fall asleep easier. And I find myself able to stay asleep. If I wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom or the dogs are barking, I fall back asleep, no problem. And I use it situationally. So if I have to wake up early for an event, which means I have to go to sleep early, I'm not good at falling asleep whenever I want to, but I use it. You know, we just got back from Sedona. We were at the mountain bike festival over there 
and we were camping and I sleep great in my bed. I don't sleep great on a pad on rocks. I took CBN every night there and it was awesome. I don't take it every night. I take it when I need to take it. You know, uh, some people do take it every night um, and that's fine. It could be what works best for them. Um, but I try to speak from my experience because I find that that is, you know, the most honest way to do it. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, one other thing I want to mention when don't roll your eyes, um, CBN does have some other side effects that are very rare for myself. I get the munchies. It's nuts. <laughs> like I cannot stop eating when I take CBN. So I've learned that when I take CBN, don't start eating, make sure that I'm full, make sure that I'm good. Um, but it's, it's really cool how these things can legitimately have an effect. Yeah. So, and then I, I don't, I like to make fun of Gabe cause I use enough cannabis that my relationship to cannabinoids, just in my reaction to them is very different than the average person. But even, I don't feel the munchies from CBN, but even as a regular THC consumer, very small amounts of CBN are extremely effective for me. Um, and I'm really excited to report that all of our athletes that are operating on a really high level and we have are all giving us amazing feedback on the cbn product and in all of my in like my my almost two decades of cannabinoid experience i have never had such miraculous of results from any product in terms of anecdotal feedback from other people don't listen to me my my experience is not normal what we hear from our athletes is that product has more of an impact on their performance than anything else we provide and currently, you know, CBN is very, very expensive for us to buy. It is a very rare trace cannabinoid that is becoming more available. And that's why you're seeing products out there like ours now. But um, there's also very limited data on it. And we try to be as database as possible. So in terms of studies on CBN, there was just a very comprehensive study that that came out that we were laughing about because it essentially took all of the most well-known studies on CBN brought them together and said, and it's inconclusive. <laughs> so we were like, we were scared. We we're like, all right, this is expensive. We're going to put a lot of money into creating this product that other people aren't necessarily making. And we had to test it. So, you know, all of the data we had pointed to a greater effect of CBN when mixed with THC. So if you look at our bedtime tincture right now, it's only available as a full spectrum product, which means that it does contain all of those trace cannabinoids, including THC. So we made the product with THC and we're getting a lot of requests for people. Hey, they test for it at my job. Will I pop hot? And we'll get more into that later, but short story long, yes, you will pop hot if you take it regularly. There are other things we'll talk about like ratio tests, but we'll get into that down the road. My point is, is that all the data we had said, do it as a full spectrum product. And we're like, you know, let's, we, we have some, let's start testing it. Let's make an isolate CBN product with no THC and see if it's effective. And, you know, we were skeptical, but we're like, we have enough, let's play with it. Yeah. And we did it. And we've tested it with a whole bunch of people, not just athletes, with regular people, everybody trying this product. The results have been really cool. And, um, you know, we now know from our testing that it is viable to bring a product like that to market, which excites us. As you know, an isolate. As an isolate, because some people we respect are never going to want to use THC, and that's completely fine. I'm not here to twist anyone's arm and say, oh, use it, it's better. It's, you know, I, I joke with customers, I hold up two tinctures in front of them, our full spectrum and our isolate, and they say, what's the difference? Well, they're both the same price. The isolate one 
has 2,000 milligrams of CBD. The full-spectrum one has 2,000 milligrams of CBD, but it has everything else. We like to use the term whole plant extract. So you get these flavonoids, these terpenes, these individual components that we believe add up to a greater overall effect. We even have a sexy term for it called the entourage effect. Yeah. Another Dr. McCullum also coined that term. Yes. (laughs) Um, But what I do is I say, you know, this isolate is great. This is a wonderful vegetable. This full spectrum is the same price and you're getting a salad. You know, why would you want a vegetable when you can have a salad? Very strict drug testing policy at your job where they don't necessarily understand. Um, All the products we make are designed to be sub-psychoactive. Yeah. Um, You know, nothing. I mean, you have to ignore our dosage recommendations blatantly in order to get a reaction. You know, Gabe talked about his own individual. He can get some perception from really low doses. There are some people who can have some change in perception from relatively small doses, right? What what does that mean? Uh, I mean, two milligrams. So two doses of our product, not one, but two. In certain individuals, they might feel a small change in perception, but not be intoxicated. If you take 10 doses of my product, right, you start to get into, maybe you might be having some psychoactivity. Again, like follow the dosage recommendations. There's much cheaper ways to get high if that's what you're looking to do. I mean, it's just like, it's not, <laughs> full spectrum is we're blessed that we get to use it. And um, we're excited to continue to use it, but you know, there's a lot of products that are coming on the market that are you know full spectrum that are designed to create psychoactivity that we're seeing right now. We're not one of those products, and I just want to be really clear about that. Like, nothing we make is to get you high. Um, it's yeah. super important to us, and um, that's probably something just to remember in general. That while people tend to single out any of the cannabinoids for this, you. <laughs> You take too much vitamin C, you will have negative effects. You take, you drink too much beer, you'll have negative effects. I mean, it's, there's literally pretty much any, anything on the medical market in the pharmaceutical world. If you take too much, you will have negative effects. I mean, you can kill yourself with Tylenol and it's in a very painful way. Because I also recommend really high doses of our tincture in certain situations. And when we look at pediatric seizure patients, for instance, they're taking a arguably a psychoactive dose on a daily basis. Children. Um, one of the fun things about the entourage effect is that the CBD, when it does bond to the THC, stops the psychoactivity. So to say if you're taking 10 milligrams of THC from a CBD-based product versus 10 milligrams of THC from just a THC product, it's not linear in terms of the effect because you're having that bond happen. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, in general, we need to be careful about how we discuss CBD. And so frequently I have old people come and say, like, oh, I did that stuff in the 60s. I'm like, no, you didn't. Nope, you didn't. CBD didn't exist in these kind of quantities in the 60s. And nope, this is very, very different. And Something I'd, I'd love to highlight is you, you called this a supplement earlier, which I, I think that is an important delineation because when I think of a, a medicine or anything in the pharmaceutical world, the ideal in my mind is a bridge to health, not something that's supposed to be used for the rest of your life. And I think that that has been a shift, especially in the United States with the pharmaceutical industry is you're on this blood pressure medication, you're on it for life. Or you're on this type two diabetes medication, you're on it for life. 
I, I still believe fervently that medicine is a bridge to health to, used, to be used for certain periods of time to bring you into a state of homeostasis. And supplements kind of fall into a different realm. Like, it's great to take vitamin C. <laughs> it's great to take fish oils, get your omega-3s. How would you say this fits into that? Exactly the same way. Um, you know, we, what we're learning now is that daily CBD supplementation, right? I've said this before, but it increases positive health outcomes over time. So as we're aging, as we're getting older, we're all getting older every day. Our bodies are breaking down. CBD can help stop some of that and can slow some of that down, especially when it comes to neurological things. And so I want people to use CBD every day. I don't want them to use it in large quantities every day. And it's really important to remember that your body is naturally producing cannabinoids right now, right? Just while we're sitting here. Yep. So I've never gotten myself high. <laughs> yes, you have. You haven't uh, tried hard enough. Okay. <laughs> so, well, you're, we're all endurance athletes at this table, right? Ah, so, there so we you go. Have, you have heard of the runner's, runner's high, high, correct? Yeah. The runner's high is, is, is directly related to cannabinoid receptors in your body's production of cannabinoids in conjunction with oxygen deprivation and some other things, right? But there is a correlation okay. between runner's high and cannabinoid high. Really? Yes. What is that? Well, your body is producing higher levels of cannabinoids when you're stressing it. Okay. And so what you're doing is you're flooding your cannabinoid receptors when we're on, when we're racing. We saw you at the apex, you're racing. What is that like stoked feeling you're feeling? Mm -hmm. Part of that's cannabinoids. So when I get done with a terrible, awful, horrible, long road ride, that's just been the worst thing ever, but you pushed to the max at the end of it and you get in the car and then 10 minutes later you're like oh man this feels amazing <laughs> yep same neurological pathways Mostly. or very similar very yeah. similar okay interesting um so what we we really just want folks to think about it as you know we can use really large doses situationally and small doses every day to keep our bodies moving you hit your head after a mountain bike crash you know how i just said don't I want you to ignore all dosage recommendations. I want you to take as much as you feel comfortable taking. If you're a THC consumer, drink the whole bottle. If you're not a THC consumer, don't drink the whole bottle. Um, because cannabinoids are really powerful neuroprotectant. Immediately after head trauma, we can decrease um, brain swelling. We can decrease the amount of time it takes to recover from brain trauma. Um, you, you, know, should, uh, you should bring up your personal experience recently, man, that'd be... Yeah, I um, had the worst head injury of my life. Um, all my other head injuries up to this point were mostly bicycle related. Um, and I mean, my, my first like concussion I really remember is I got clotheslined by a tree branch when I was a teenager in Durango and blew a helmet off my head. Whoa. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's like felt okay. And I mean, I've hit my head a bunch of times. Just It's part of my life, I guess. Um, but recently I was recovering from a small surgery. Um, totally normal. I walked into my garage, honestly, to go take a bong rip. Um, didn't make it to the bong. <laughs> um, pulled a giant wrought iron shelf on top of myself um, and went down backwards on my head. And my wife had just left to go take my daughter to Girl Scouts. And so, but I'd called her just then. So I had like a time, I knew when I walked into the garage, I, it took me 20 minutes to get out of the garage. I was unconscious somewhere between five and 10 minutes um, and high on anesthesia still. 
So I woke up with the shelf on top of me and initially I thought I was in bed. And the sh I was like, but it's like, why can't I move the blanket? Well, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I eventually get the shelf off of me and I crawl inside and luckily I have a Google home. It's like, hey, Google, call beautiful. And it's my wife's name, my phone. And um, got a shout out to all the wives out there. Um, and I was like, you need to come home right now. <laughs> it's like, I, I could, you know, it's like, I could, I was bleeding. I knew I was bleeding, but I was so effed up that I didn't really understand. And I immediately, and I, and I didn't immediately take that super high CBD dose. I wish I would have had the presence of mind to immediately have done it. Um, but I really, really quickly took somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 milligrams. Um, and then proceeded to follow that up every single day thereafter with a minimum of 500 milligrams. And it took me a couple of weeks to, I was in, I had to be in dark and quiet for like a solid five days. And after that, I started even, it's like even coming back to work. I was like, there's a couple of days when I first came back, I was like, dude, I got to go right now. Like I'm not good to the end of the day. And it's just like, I can't do this. And my recovery time based on what the doctors told me was dramatically decreased. Said so based on the symptoms that you're having, expect to have this happen for months. And it as happened for weeks. That's amazing coming from my perspective as somebody who's had fairly significant head trauma and had that similar experience of needing to be stuck in a dark, quiet place for days. And yeah, that that road back was long. And I'm still struggling with it. I'm not going to say I'm 100% it. I'm definitely not. Um, you know, I'm finding myself rambling a little more. I'm finding myself already forgetful, probably partially because of my cannabis intake. But um, <laughs> my, Gabe can attest that it's like, you know, it's like I've been extra spacey. Um, but it, it is getting so much better all the time. And when we look at, you know, it's like now we, we talk to like MMA fighters. I'm like, dude, immediately after a fight, drink a whole bottle you crash on your mountain bike drink a whole bottle um the neuroprotectant qualities of cbd in particular are extraordinary if you're going out on the town with the boys to go have a couple whiskeys take a really big dose before you get out you're actually decreasing the amount of brain cells that will die from your night on the town drinking right it's a neuro i mean it's a neuroprotectant, right? What is it doing? It's modulating things. So it's modulating your brain's response to these chemicals that are tearing it down. And it's protecting those from the alcohol or the poison that you're adding into your body at the, any given time. Whether, it's, whether that's external and something you don't know about, like pollution, or something that you're actively taking in, like a drug or an alcohol or something like that, you know, it is fighting against both of those things. That's why we have such great positive health outcomes overall is because what is it doing? It's modulating everything. Pardon, pardon the bit of skeptic in me over here. Um, how, how did we discover and like put data behind the neuroprotective qualities of, hmm. of CBD? Yeah. Well, um, again, limited information. Um, Big shout out to Israel here. Um, so when the United States was not allowing cannabinoid research, Israel was. You've heard me reference Dr. McCullum multiple times. Dr. McCullum is brilliant. He is now in his 80s. He is still actively researching. Um, and he discovered THC and CBD and the entourage effect. And like more than half of those 207 cannabinoids we've talked about. Um, and we started to 
there is a small study that was done with the Israeli military looking at blast victims um, and giving really, really, really high doses. Um, what we, when we look at, um, sorry, Parkinson's and dementia study stuff, it's really, really interesting. And that's where some of that comes from. Um, we now are lucky enough um, that we're now looking at football players and UFC fighters and we're seeing active things in MRIs. And again, we need to have more study on this stuff, but the outcomes are so extraordinary that the scientists are all really, really clear. We don't totally understand why, but there is a clear consensus that it's happening. And in our industry, again, with the, as an aside here, you know, a lot of the stuff we learn is actually from users and from anecdotal evidence. So we work with CBG, which we briefly touched on. And, you know, we know CBG is a strong antimicrobial, which is why we're putting it in our chamois cream. Um, we know that CBD has, has been shown to help reduce intraocular pressure. So people suffering from too much pressure in their eyes, which can be really painful, you know, glaucoma, et cetera. Um, but something that we had no clue of, we couldn't find any studies for, but we kept seeing was GI distress, Crohn's, IBS. We have no clue why it's so effective, so much more effective than THC or CBD for these things. But we have people seeking it out, seeking out CBG to treat those symptoms. And again, it's a, it's a relatively new field and a lot of this stuff, unfortunately, we can't point to this well-known study, um, but we have to trust. We have to trust our customers. We have to trust our experiences. We have to trust what we see. And at the end of the day, you know, salesperson over here, we don't have an explicit money back guarantee, but we do everything it takes to make our customers happy in the, you know, 15 months or so since we have had the brand and have been open, you know, we always offer, you know, satisfaction guarantee. Mm -hmm. We've had two people ask us for refunds in the entire time. We tell all of our, again, as a manufacturer, we have distributors, we have, you know, retailers, and we tell our retailers, it's a difficult conversation. If you set a reasonable expectation with that customer, they didn't experience what they were led to believe, give them their money back. We will take care of you. And we've still yet to have a retailer even have to do that. Like it's. So because your body is producing these cannabinoids and because we have these receptors, everybody's relationship with cannabinoids is really different. And Gabe's reaction to cannabinoids and my reaction to cannabinoids, as you guys have heard in this podcast, massively different. Yeah. And so because of that, we are, um, because of that, it's a really cool situation we're in because we're asking people to take healthcare into their own hands. We're asking them to be more mindful. We're asking them to drink more water. We're asking them to stretch. We're asking them to take their vitamins. We're asking them to eat healthy and supplement with some CBD. And if we do all of these things, it's pretty amazing what happens. You know, we don't like, there's a lot of CBD companies that'll make all kinds of crazy claims and charge five <laughs> times what we charge. Yeah. Check out our pricing. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing. It's because we want you to take more of it and because we know it works. And what I challenge every individual to do who has questions or is a skeptic is I say, this is the safest substance known to man. There's no risk in taking it. And there's a whole heck of a lot of reward. I can't wait to hear what your experience with it is. Because it's so different for each individual. And it's, it's a really, really cool situation that we're in because we get to say, hey, man, pay more attention yourself. Yeah. You know more about your healthcare than any doctor does, dude. And a really <laughs> cool tool to throw in there, especially for people that are trying it for the first time. 
I always encourage people to take a diary. I mean, if it's five or 10 days, take a diary of how much you took, when you took it, what you noticed. And again, everyone's experiences are going to be different. Some people take five milligrams of CBN. Most people take five milligrams of CBN and it's great. Some people take two. Some people take 10. Not everybody is the same. So we can't give everybody all of the answers, but we can help guide people, you know, in their experiences to understand how to use it, how to benefit from it, and, you know, to have a better experience. I've written cannabinoid recommendations and helped thousands and thousands of patients with every ailment you can possibly think of, whether it's cancer or drug addiction or, um, you know, epilepsy. You know, it's like if I if I have an experience, somebody with a specific condition you're trying to treat, guarantee I know somebody who has. And if I if somebody has a specific question for me that I don't feel like I have a confident answer on, I call friends that are doctors and ask them. But in general, you know, it's like we're we always will have somebody on staff who will answer your calls and help you figure out what your next steps are in your cannabinoid therapy. Whether that is, I'm going to continue to do self-exploration. Maybe I'm going to consult a physician. You know, maybe what what is that next step? And you know, we have all, we were really proud to say that our long-term goal is exactly that: um, is to always provide those services to folks and always provide that level of customer service because this shit is complicated, and we're asking you to take a lot <laughs> of responsibility. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes there's very few specialists. Like my sister's a veterinarian, right? Mm -hmm. She asks me questions about CBT to look into it for her, for her patients. You know, yeah. we, we do make pet products. We love our pets. My dogs took it this morning. They take it every day. Yeah. Um, larger amounts when I take them with me to the trails, you know, same reason I take larger amounts. I want them to bounce back faster and, to, you know, help reduce the wear and tear on them as much as I can. Cause you know, I love them. I want them to last. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people that will give you an answer for the sake of giving you an answer. We're never going to bullshit you. If we don't know it, we don't know it. We're, we're okay with saying that. We'll figure it out for you. We will make that a huge priority, you know, because the only way we get better at this is to learn. And it, it sounds like basically what you guys are painting a picture of is if you're, for anybody out there who is interested or curious about CBD, the biggest headline is do your research. This isn't just like, like Josh was saying earlier about medicine, many Americans, many in Western societies have this idea of a highly consumer driven productized, you get, you go to the store and you buy the thing that says what it does and you don't think about it. You just buy the thing, take the dose that somebody else recommended and move on with your life with an expected effect. Whereas the world of cannabinoids is significantly more involved where you have to actually be taking a participatory role in your outcome in terms of managing your dosing, understanding what you're taking, understanding how it's affecting you and knowing what your outcome is in the first place. Most people that have a positive outcome do that. Gotcha. Um, the people that don't do that are much less likely to have a positive outcome. Not impossible, but it's unlikely. And there are other brands that try to do exactly that. Like our product cures anxiety. Our product cures cancer. Our product cures gastrointestinal distress our product cures hives. And I'm just like, what the fuck guys? I mean, it just, <laughs> sure. You found one person that was having an autoimmune response and you were able to get their autoimmune response under control and alleviate a rash. No, the CBD didn't do that. 
your body did that. We supplemented your body so that way your body wasn't overreacting to this outside stimulus. CBD didn't do that, right? I mean, it's interesting. It's a, we don't like to make claims about our product. The, we'll claim, the few things that we will, we do like to say, it will help you relax. It'll help you recover better. It'll help you with inflammation after you fall, have fallen or after you do a hard day in the saddle. And, but at the end of the day, again, as we keep saying, it's exactly what we've all said, is that your experience is going to be yours. And that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. Just have a kind of a side question here with uh, the receptors. Um, you, you mentioned the, the two types of cannabinoid receptors in, in the body. And I have been more familiar with opioid receptors. And do you know what the relationship is? with like our, our body's natural dopamine response to mm. exercise. And if not, that's fine. Um, but I, I'm just curious because I haven't done much research on cannabinoid receptors. Cannabinoids can work synergistically with opioids. We don't understand why. Um, frequently chronic pain patients that are using CBD in reasonable quantities can decrease the amount of opioids because you've increased the efficacy of the opioid while decreasing the toxicity because you've been able to lower that dose. It had, there has not been any studies that I know of regarding athletic produced dopamine and cannabis or cannabinoids. Um, but from a chronic pain standpoint, there is a little bit of data and that's the data I do know. Um, yeah. Other than that, I'd have to get back to you. That's what I do know. Cool. Well, right on. there's a lot to, a lot to dig into. Oh yeah. So much to learn. And it's so cool to hear a lot of what you guys have journeyed through already and the science that you guys do know, because we've just seen such a demystifying effect of the whole like marijuana hemp world in the last five, 10 years, especially here in Colorado, which we've become somewhat known for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. 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 Gonjurado. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I moved here, you know, uh, nine years ago and I've never smoked weed here ever. <laughs> that would probably friends, blow so the like, minds of yeah. some people knowing what you actually do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've smoked weed, just never here. Not here. Yeah. yeah not in that time frame. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we could dig way further into science and, and testing and all of that. Um, I would love to get some of our, our general questions in there. Oh, yeah, because we are a biking show. One of, the, one of the ones we start with, strange or weird encounters on a bike. We've had people hit cows. We've had people hit bear. Armadillo. Armadillo. Armadillo happened, yeah. You hit one? I didn't hit it. I saw it, but it was a really cool trail. It was um, down in South Florida, and uh, there's this trail... You, they have jack shit for trails out there, right? Olita that I was talking about earlier, it was built over an old dump. So it has kind of like these flowy little hills and these punchy technical climbs that disappear before you know it. But, you know, you can build your endurance. You can have a lot of fun. You can hone your technical skill. And in this other park I was at, I, I want to say it was Amelia Earhart. I might be misspeaking. But um, there was a trail where they built a line over an old car. So I'm coming over this car, there's dirt to go up the trunk, you roll over the top, you roll over the front, and um, there's a fucking armadillo right there, like in the corner. <laughs> and I'm like, is that for real an armadillo? Like, I mean, Florida boy grew up here, never seen one. 
yeah. middle of the trail mountain biking. So that was definitely, you know, an oddball encounter. And, you know, I like to, to joke and say I saw Bigfoot once when I was out mountain biking. Mm-hmm. He was riding a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that didn't oh, really that... happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no shave November. There you go. <laughs> when? What I, about I mean, you? I've had a lot of crazy bike experiences, but my favorite story to tell is um, meeting Marilyn Monroe. So I was a bike messenger in San Francisco mm-hmm. and occasionally really skeezy lawyers would use bike messengers to serve people. Okay. So I show up to this really weird lawyer office in the bottom of an abandoned mall. And it's just like, this dude is like totally disheveled and overweight, has like, you know, the aging hippie look going on with like the balding ponytail. And <laughs> like it's, it's a whole thing even when you walk into the office, right? It's kind of like Market Street area, kind of like just outside of the financial district in San Francisco. And they're like, oh, well, here, I need to go to this address and serve this person. And it's like, we'll get paperwork. And Marilyn's like, Marilyn Monroe? And he's like, yep, Marilyn Monroe. I'm like, okay. And we get the address. And I'm like, oh, great. It's in the Tenderloin, which is not the nicest neighborhood in San Francisco. Um, and I mean, it's known for prostitution and crack and all those other things. And... Um, it's this really seedy hotel. Okay. So I lock my bike up. I go in. There's this really well-dressed gay man at the front counter. And I'm like, hi, I'm here. I'm looking for Marilyn Monroe. He's like, oh, what did she do? I was just like, oh, uh, okay. I didn't realize. And this is like, but he was not. So this guy just said, I mean, this was the grossest, like, dirtiest little hotel you could possibly imagine. This dude is just freaking to the nines, like immaculate. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's like down the hall. And I think it was like four, three or four doors down um, on the hall. And it's dark. And I knock on the door and nobody answers. And I knock on the door and nobody answers. And finally, the door cracks open and it's a dark room just lit by hundreds of candles. What's <laughs> 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 going on? <laughs> and I was like, hi, are you Marilyn Monroe? And Marilyn Monroe was very, very, very much taller than me, had a much deeper voice than I did. <laughs> and could kick my ass. <laughs> and I never would have guessed from the movie posters. I'm right? confused. And, yeah. uh, so I ended up serving Marilyn and uh, went about my day. But it's like, one, I called dispatch and refused to ever serve anybody ever again. And it was really nice to find, get that first celebrity sighting and meet the very, very <laughs> tall, very muscular Marilyn Monroe <laughs> in the Tenderloin in San Francisco in a candlelit room. <laughs> So that was, special. My, that was my strangest bicycle experience, I think. Wow. Well, those yeah. are two firsts. Marilyn yeah. Monroe and <laughs> an Armadillo. And an Armadillo, yeah. We <laughs> haven't had either before. of those. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about a best day, worst day? Yeah, yeah we ask people, have... best day on a bike, worst day on a bike. Best is hard. Yeah, there have been so many good ones. Um, way more good than bad. Worst day on a bike commuting to work on my fat bike in the snow freezing my ass off with a new tubeless setup of course that's a smart idea um oh i have actually a better one that one sucked but i have a better one (laughs) um i was riding a bike ghetto tubeless as we call it so not um not a you know optimized tubeless setup not a tubeless tire not a tubeless rim gorilla tape and, um, yeah, I'm riding the bike and of course I get a flat and I go to put a tube into it cause I had one and all I had was a shock pump. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I had to pump a tire up with a shock pump. And I'm sitting there. People keep passing me. Do you have a pump? Do you have a pump? No one had a pump. And it took me forever. So, of course, I finally get this thing to a respectable pressure. It took a while. My arms are just raw and, you know, lights going down. And I'm close enough to my home that I can bike home. So I start rolling down the hill and... <laughs> After all that work, uh, lost it. So no serious injury, but that that was memorable. That one sucked. Best day. There's too many of them. I, I couldn't even pick it. I mean, they're all so friggin' great. Just anytime I'm out there, good friends, good dogs, good views. Colorado's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Worst one. I don't know. I mean, I can think of like a lot of like bad experiences, getting hit by cars and all kinds of stuff, but. I guess the one that's most recent, the most recent uh, in my mind is actually from the summer. And I was in Durango with my dad and my high school mountain bike coach. And uh, we were doing a big backcountry ride that takes you from Purgatory to the Lower Hermosa Creek Campground. Uh, it's a pretty famous ride. And pretty much exactly halfway through, I don't know what I was doing. I was following John a little too closely or something. And front wheel just washed out and I went down weird and broke my wrist and my elbow. And it was a very, it was the longest hike out I've ever had to do. So, and in XC shoes, man. Oh, so like no. By the end of it, I didn't know what hurt worse, if it was my broken arm or my feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I literally had to wear sandals for like three weeks afterwards because my feet were just like so screwed up from hiking out the, I mean, it was like, it was a solid... Well, no, it was pretty awesome because I didn't have enough, like, food and water to do the hike. It was, like, the hottest day of the summer. And, like, on a bike, you're moving fast enough that the water situation would have been fine. But once you start hiking, so it's, like, I'm out of water. I had to send my dad to go get me shoes and water. So I'm, like, out there by myself huffing my bike in massive amounts of pain. And uh, it was just, it was one of those, but to say it was, like, a terrible experience, in the moment it was terrible. But at the end of it, it was one of those things where it's, like, wow, I moved a lot of miles really, really, really quickly while pushing a bike with a broken arm. Like my dad was like, how did you get this far? And I'm like, yeah. I wanted to get the fuck home. <laughs> um, and I mean, that was, it was pretty brutal though. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was really hot, a lot of altitude gain loss and XC shoes, man. No. Like, I don't know that I will, for like big backcountry stuff like that anymore. Like, I'm like, I don't know that I would wear XC shoes again. Because if something goes wrong... And you're wa- like, let's say the bike breaks, you know, it's like, yeah, not a good choice. I once broke my front wheel in half and it was a, it wasn't that bad, but it was a seven and a half mile hike out in XC shoes with yeah. a bike that you couldn't even roll because it only had one wheel now. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh. We ended up flipping it over, pulling the seat out of it and then stringing the handlebars through the bottom of my camelback, like a little trailer. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very smart. Not just comfy. Ride a wheelie out? You know, I would have liked to, but I can't at all. Uh, me and, neither. And, and honestly, I mean, I have had millions and millions and millions of great times on my bike. But, you know, my, my, my dad is my best friend. Um, he's an amazing cyclist. And any ride I can do with my dad is the best ride. Um, and we've had, you know, we got to do an epic mountain bike race this year together. It was his first mountain bike race in 20 years. And we did the 12 hours of Royal Gorge. That was really oh, cool. Yeah. And 
Um, I went out to go support John Croom at Leadville and got the bug and called my dad. I was like, dude, we're doing Leadville. And he's like, well, then we're going sub nine. And so right now we're training to go do Leadville sub nine together. Um, and we've had rides that were in the sleeting snow and miserable. And we've had rides in squelching heat that were terrible. And we've had a lot of fun and a lot of scary shit happen. And, you know, any ride I can do with my dad is the best ride. Um, yeah, I'm blessed to have such a good friend in him. Do you feel like you guys have any big takeaways from, I guess, either the cycling world or your journey in the CBD world? Like, or what life lessons you could pick just a couple off to put you on the spot? Always be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I still ride with a full on camelback and. You know, I've learned from other people's mistakes. Don't put your pump on your spine. That's not a good place for it. Um, you know, bring more than you think you need. Uh, I am a uh, recovering weight weenie. Um, I ride a 35-pound single-speed chrome-plated hardtail currently for the most part. Um, I have a full suspension on order that will be lighter than that bike with gears. <laughs> but, um, I, I mean, I have learned that for me, being able to get myself home is more important than being able to be super fast. I still like to be super fast. There's a time and a place and, and, you know, I do enjoy that type of riding too, but you know, I'd rather go out, enjoy friends, enjoy the trails, enjoy the views and be able to make it home and have too many calories rather than not enough, you know, coming, trying to think about those shitty rides, right? Not having enough calories. Just ask when I get cranky. I am, not good to be around when I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> sorry, people. But, um, you know, being prepared, um, knowing how to work on my own gear, knowing how to do trailside repairs. You know, if, if you are shy to that, YouTube is an awesome resource, but so is your local bike shop. Go to the classes that they offer. Buy something from them. Please support them. Um, you know, I have never been rich and I still do my best to try to support my local shops because you're not just buying the product from them. You're buying the experience and you're supporting the community. And yes, you may spend, you know, $2 more than you would have on Amazon, but it goes so much further to the community. So from cycling, support your local, go to your local dealers, learn how to do things yourself um, when you can. And when you can't support that mechanic, you know, sometimes your time is worth more, you know, use their expertise. Yeah. So mine's going to be a little more big picture, I think. And I mean, I think that too often on rides, we are too focused on, you know, the journey or the destination that we don't necessarily always take a second to look around. And we're all, we're really, really, really blessed to be in beautiful places. And recently I've been trying to take more time on those rides. Like the other day I went on a road ride and I went really, 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 really hard all the way till when the view got good. Yeah. And then I turned it off and I enjoyed myself, you know, and for me, sometimes on a really nice mountain bike ride, when fire conditions are not dangerous, I'll bring a joint and I'll smoke a joint at the top of the mountain. And that's a really special experience, but it doesn't have to be a joint, right? Like it can be a really nice sandwich. Help bring a cheese plate with you and hang <laughs> out for 30 minutes and enjoy yourself. Oh, that right? sounds you know, great. So yeah. Especially when we, avid cyclists in particular, 
do a really bad job of appreciating the spaces that we get to go to and the things we get to see. And I find so much that I miss little things when I'm going hard. And it's so important to just take a second sometimes to slow down and really appreciate what you've just accomplished, whether that's the view you've just bridden yourself to or a goal that you've reached in terms of your fitness or a technical piece of trail that you've never cleaned before. Like, take a second and enjoy that and do it by yourself. You know, I'm a huge proponent of like, it's about meditation for me frequently. And mm -hmm. so taking that moment to let it be meditative um, we forget to do too often. Well said. This could go on for hours. We could just keep talking to you guys forever. There's a whole bunch we didn't even get into, like the ridiculous amount of boutique products you guys were telling us about even before the show started. <laughs> so much more to dig into from the science side as well. But probably a good point to stop at least for round one, if we call it that, sure. with you guys. Sure. Um, just a quick shout out you guys twisted spoke cbd it is not just a cbd shop they also do all sorts of boutique and uh i guess hard to find really neat bike parts it's all the stuff that we wanted to carry in the giant corporate shops that they said no <laughs> so you know titanium cranks and cogs and you know memorabilia and signed collectibles and Dude, we got Chris King salt and pepper shakers, new old stock. Who has this? <laughs> you so know, where, where are you guys for people who don't know, like uh, physically located? 140 East Garden of the Gods Road, Suite E. We are um, between Nevada and I-25 on Garden of the Gods. Um, yeah, we have shops all over the Southwest of the United States, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Please take a look at our dealer locator and support your local bike shop as well. Um, mm -hmm. and that and, will be on your website, which yes. is twistedspokecbd.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, you guys need to come by so we can get you guys set up with some stuff so you guys can have your own little testimonials. Hey, yeah, there yep. we go. I think you might need some CBN. I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to try that. Yep. Well, thanks again for joining us today. It's been really fun. I've learned a lot. <laughs> I yeah. Look as to have I. More. Yeah. Thanks guys. This is great. Yeah. Wayne, Gabe, thanks a ton for being on the show. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.